Menlo Church is all about Jesus and making Him known, anchored by the Word of God. A hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. A thoughtful community, loving God with all our mind. A family being spiritually formed together. It's who we've always been. When you know who you are, you know which direction to go. You know, at different times over the last 147 years of this church, certainly for the last 60 years, pastors have lifted up values when we come to the crossroads. These values are guideposts in confusing times. They are cornerstone values at Menlo Church, like the strands of our DNA. They, they shape who we are. We thought it'd be fun to take a look back at the history of Menlo together. Let's watch. For what I know about the history of Menlo, they have always been a very seriously Bible-based church. That was the, the essence of Menlo. God has always blessed us with pastors and leaders that love the Lord dearly, commit their lives to serving Him however way He would lead them, and that's what has blessed our church. Clearly, God was blessing and providing us with that leadership to lead us for this long. The mission of Menlo is just the open-door church and that welcoming in of people. We want to reach everybody on the Bay Area, be in the hands and feet of Jesus to help people in, in their walk. A hospital for sinners, for everybody. We started attending Menlo in 1979. We wanted to get involved in doing things. And so we looked for ministries to get involved with. Shirley and I served as deacons for 14 years at Menlo, leading small groups and then helping lead the ministry in small groups. We helped start the after-service prayer ministry at Menlo in 1983. That ministry is still going today. We were pioneers to launch the San Mateo campus. We started out meeting at Aragon High School, and for two years there, we took the church out of the box every Sunday morning, and we became a community. After two years at the high school, we moved to the campus in San Mateo on Piccadilly Lane. We went around to every corner of that huge room and we prayed for the ministry that was going to happen at that area of the building. We also went around and put prayers on the walls and signed our names for prayer requests. They're still there. And all those prayer requests are still there. We uh, have been foster parents uh, for about 45 years. Fostered 115 babies over the 45 years. We were always supported by the life group that we were in and by friends at church. And their prayer support just really carried us through in a lot of ways. We had one instance right here in this living room where a baby fainted. They weren't breathing and we called 911. And we were in the middle of a life group meeting in our living room. This life group was here kneeling on the floor praying. It just grabbed my heart. I could not believe it. We're all broken. And for a lot of people, I believe that that can keep them from going to church. 
But when you're in community with people, you're bouncing ideas off of each other. You're learning from each other's mistakes and from, and from the growth that each other has made. And we inspire each other. And that's what the hospital is. It's all of us together as broken people. A place for everybody. Sinners mm -hmm. for everybody. The values that kept Shirley and I at Menlo for 40 years, good character and good authentic living and good caring for people and compassion, those values lead to, well, where did we get those ideas? Well, we got them from Christ because he set that example for us in Scripture and he calls us to be the, his hands and feet. To me, Menlo's challenge is to reach the next generation, to reach the younger generation. That simple message, regardless of whatever tool or method we use, is an important message. And I think the younger generation will respond to that. It's just like raising our kids. We can't know what's going to happen to them but we can love them. Yes. And you start and hold them close and stay with them. That's what we do when we stay in church and stay with God. He covers us. Yeah, we hold him From close. From the littlest to the biggest. Amen. Isn't that great? I, I loved getting to know Dave Bostic. His story, like, thousands of years at Menlo is the reason that we're here this weekend, to hear a word from the living God that'll change our lives and draw us into community together. So we're at another crossroads, aren't we? In our culture with COVID and internal divisions, with reduced interest in religion among us, and it's time to hear those voices again, to hear Carrie, Wissinger talk about how the Bible brings us to the living Jesus and how Jesus brings us to the Bible. To listen to the voice of Walt again talking how Menlo should never become a museum for saints but be a hospital for sinners. And what does that mean? To listen to John teach us again about how the life of the mind is a precious gift from God so needed here on the peninsula. Each of them in their own way offering part of the path of the disciple, the formation of the soul. That's what we'll do this next month because we've decided that where we go is always determined by who we are and what we allow to guide us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for this sacred time. I pray that you will distract us whether we are in the car or at home, or in the sanctuary, that your word will sink deep, that my words will not get in the way. Bless us in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. So you're meeting somebody at the coffee shop, or uh, at school, or, or at, they're a coworker with you in the in the marketplace, and they and they turn to you at some point, and they go, "So, so, what's your church like? We're we're interested in this church thing, and we're checking it out. But aren't they all the same? Would we fit in at what's your church's name again?" I heard somebody the other day uh, describe Menlo Church and say, "So you're the Jesus Church. What what does that mean? Aren't they all Jesus churches? How would you respond?" That's what I'd like to talk about this morning for us and for the people that drive by here. We start by saying that uh, 
One of the things that makes Menlo distinctive is that we trust that the Bible leads us to Jesus. And Jesus leads us to the Bible. But what, is, what does that mean? For a lot of our culture, the, the Bible is a stumbling block to, to folks inside and outside the faith. A lot of people spend careers trying to disprove the errors of the Bible. Others trying to prove to skeptics that the Bible is rational without error or inspired. Let me give you my take just this morning. I believe in the Bible. My belief is not irrational, because, but it doesn't depend on proof. My belief in the Bible is what scholars call fideistic. That is, it's rooted in faith, fideism. It's rooted in faith, so because I've come to trust Jesus, and because Jesus trusts the Bible, so I'm going to trust the Bible, not the other way around. You can prove a lot of stuff. You can leave things up in the air. But at the end of the day, I think that you just have to believe in the Bible just enough to let it be the credible story of Jesus. And then let the Lion of Judah, that's one of the names for Jesus, let the Lion of Judah out of the box, off the page, he'll do, he'll do the rest. So let's see if we can get to the purpose of the Bible. At the very end of the story that John tells about Jesus, in chapter 20, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which aren't recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing or trusting, by believing, you might have life in his name. That's the purpose of the Bible. Now, I said that the Bible leads people to Jesus, and that's one of the cores at Menlo, but it's clear that Jesus also sees the power of God in the Bible through Scripture. In the story, he, he battles the devil's temptations with Scripture. He says, get away from me. It is written, quoting the Bible. When Jesus wants to silence his critics, he over and over, four different times, says, have you never read and points to the story of the Old Testament, and then Jesus puts himself in that story. It's there right from the beginning of the end. That really, the, the story of Jesus' career in the Gospel of Luke begins in chapter 4, and he starts by going to the Bible, and then it goes all the way to chapter 19, and he goes back to the Bible. Listen to the way that the ministry of Jesus begins. Jesus went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as usual. He stood up to read, and they handed him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolled the scroll back up, gave it to the attendant, and sat down with everybody's eyes glued on him. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus bases his ministry on the Bible. What does that mean for us today? Well, first, Clearly, Jesus says that human beings are broken people. And Jesus says he's come to bring good news to the poor. 
in wallet and in spirit. He's come to set free people imprisoned and oppressed, whether because of evil or addiction, that Jesus has come to help people who think that they have 20-20 eyes see spiritual reality, maybe for the first time in their lives. And Jesus ends by saying, and it can start right now, today. It seems then that Jesus reads the Bible and comes to believe that all of us are broken people. What the Bible calls the lost or sinners, sinful. Sin, doing the wrong thing, doing it even when you know better, doing it even when you don't want to. And Jesus comes to bring that realization from my head to my heart. That every single human being is a broken person. That human brokenness is so deep that we cannot fix ourselves, we can't save ourselves, and we deny it. So often we don't really respond to this message of Jesus until the cracks in our lives force us to not try to fix ourselves. That statement of purpose said, these things were written that you might believe and that by believing you might find life, that you might trust in the rescuing power of Christ alone and his claim on our lives. So we affirm that belief in Jesus changes lives. Belief, it's, a, it's an interesting word. In the, in the Bible, belief and faith and trust all get intermingled, but believe. Uh, I, I found new level to that when I started dating this little blonde woman named Laura. And uh, we were living uh, in, in the town where she was living, about 40 minutes from my house. And about every night or every other night, we'd go over to her place and meet her folks and just have a great time. But we never went to my house. As a matter of fact, she pointed out to me later that uh, I never met her, I never introduced her to my parents until after we were engaged. And, and, and when I did, things changed. See, I, I, I believe that Laura liked me then, I believe she loved me, but I really didn't believe it until I trusted her enough to bring her into my dysfunctional family world. And then I believed it even more when she came into that broken place with me and she loved me even more than before. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says that you might believe. It's not just head, it's, it's heart. That's why Jesus starts by saying in Luke 4, it's happening today. And at the very end of the story, in, in Luke 19, you see the life of Zacchaeus. First words set the tone. Today, this came true. Last words are lasting words. Luke says Jesus was passing through Jericho on his way to die on the cross in Jerusalem. There was a man named Zacchaeus there, the chief tax collector, really wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a fig tree. When Jesus got there, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, get down here. Let's go to your house. I have to stay there today. So Zacchaeus came down immediately, and, and he was filled with joy. But all the people saw them, and they started to grumble. 
He's gone to be the guest of him, that sinner. But then Zacchaeus stood up at the banquet table and said to Jesus, look, Lord, here and now I'm giving half of all my possessions to the poor. If I've ever cheated anybody out of everything, boy, you know that's true. If I've ever cheated anybody, I'll pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Jesus doesn't say to the crowd, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, today salvation's come into your house because this man too is a son of Abraham. You see, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. All through it, the Bible leads to Jesus, and then Jesus leads us to a new life. When it's Zacchaeus saying, I'm going to repay everybody fourfold, that is an Old Testament reference. It's the story of King David repaying people. When Jesus says, in excitement, that he's come to seek and save the lost like Zacchaeus, He's quoting the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel said, I'll seek the lost and bring back those driven away. I'll bind up the wounds of the broken and I'll strengthen the sick, but I'm going to destroy the fat and the strong. I'll feed them with judgment. Broken. It's going to bind up the broken. That, that word again. The first time I preached on, on, on this, I had these vases, these beautiful big vases, and uh, I showed them a broken one that even though the guy who helped me with the illustration had tried to glue it back together, you could still see all the broken places. And then he put a light inside. And it didn't so much hide the broken places as it showed that the light inside was the important thing. The Bible leads us to Jesus, and then Jesus leads us to life. Jesus takes one of the names that the Israelites had for their Messiah that they were waiting for, their Savior, and it comes from Ezekiel again. Ezekiel says, as a shepherd searches for his lost and scattered sheep, I'll look for the flock, my flock. I'll rescue them from all the places they've been scattered in the days of darkness. And John picks that up. The thief comes just to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus has come that they might have life and have it in the full. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. That's why it's so important to read the Bible because you see that it's not about being good people. Jesus comes and Jesus dies to take our unfixable brokenness on himself, our sinfulness he takes in his place so that we can stand with Jesus in the same place before God. Not because of what we've done, but someday in heaven at the judgment and every Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday between now and then, Jesus does not come to polish the outside, but to put his love from the inside out. You know, I, I've really, I've come to start to believe that that one of the great turnoffs of the church when people look at the church and wonder if they should come in is that those folks think that all we care about is well-polished outsides because it makes them feel judged, not invited in. Who'd be comfortable coming into a place where everybody's going to watch every step he makes? Instead, it's about being rescued. 
For the God our Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, Jesus, in whom we have redemption. Not triumph and policides, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus rescues us by hanging on the cross in our place for our sins when we're broken and can't fix ourselves. The fancy theological name for that is the substitutionary atonement. It's central to followers of Jesus, but Jesus does a lot more than die for the church. He seeks out anyone who's lost. He restores the kingdom of heaven by putting little colonies of heaven on earth and calling them churches. He brings purpose and fullness of life to people who follow him through this world into the next. Not easy, but life as they'd never had it. So when somebody asks you what, mean, what we mean by Menlo being a Jesus church, and you don't think that divine propitiation or substitutionary atonement is the best way to get your message across, why don't you share with them something like this little two-minute story from a Scotsman named Alistair Begg. Let's roll that. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing— Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense—I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet—, and yet You made it! You made it! How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What what do you mean you don't know? Well, because I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. so we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you are you are you are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, "I never heard of it in my life." And and what about? Uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, "On on what basis are you here?" And he said, "The man on the middle cross said, I can come.'" Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. Because the man on the middle cross said I could come. Is that the kind of church you want to be in? I guess it depends if you still need a savior like Jesus or if you think you can fix yourself. Do you do, you do more than share the values of the Bible? Are you sharing in that rescuing work of Jesus Is the Bible still alive from you? Does it it touch your life? Do you want to join us as we find and follow Jesus? 
into every nook and cranny of our week. We pray so. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you that your word has life in it and that that life is named Jesus. And that Jesus comes right off the page back into our world, into our hearts, into our lives. And I pray that that will happen with my friends and with me in a fresh way, even this day. In your great name, amen.